All right, so yesterday was Mother's Day. Happy belated Mother's Day to all the ladies out there. Um, I hope you guys were able to celebrate with your spouses, with your moms. Basically, if you hold the title of mom or you know someone who holds the title of mom, I hope you had a great day or you were able to make someone else's day an awesome one yesterday. All right, they, they deserve nothing but being pampered you know 24 7 365 but even more so on mother's day um now with that being said um along the lines of mother's day um if you're a member of the national wild turkey federation um you already receive a copy of a magazine their magazine that's called turkey call um and in the most recent issue of turkey Ma call magazine is a great article by by and about um, I hope I don't butcher her name, uh, Becca Garris or Bika Garris. I'm sorry. I apologize if, if you happen to be listening or somebody tells you that I was talking about you, that I, I apologize if I butchered your name. But it is an awesome piece that I highly recommend you guys read. So if you've already got a copy sitting on your coffee table and you haven't picked it up to read it yet, I highly, I highly recommend that you do so. Um, if you're, you're not a member of the NWTF, I highly recommend you become a member. Um, but if you're still on the fence about it, um, the magazine is available digitally. Um, what I'll do is I'll put a link to the article, to the essay, if you will, um, in the show notes um, for you guys to read it. Um, it's really cool. I mean, you know, in a nutshell, it's about how a mom is able to get out in the woods with her kid. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about a 12, 13, 14 year old, but a, a toddler, a, a young one. I mean, I don't know how old um, Mrs. Garris's uh, child is now, um, but I can only assume she's been doing this, you know, going out into the woods and hunting with her from the youngest age. So I highly recommend you guys check it out. It's a great piece, um, really interesting. And who knows? I hope to have her on this podcast one day. All right. I've said it before and I will say it again. Um, one of the greatest joys of having become a hunter um, is not only the fact that I get to be out in the woods, you know, watching the sun rise and a lot of times watching the sun set. It's not only being out there and listening to the different animals and um, and just watching them in their natural habitat it's not only about you know the thrill of the chase and the enjoyment of you know the the kill afterwards it's also about for me at least it's also about the people i've gotten to meet and have conversations with um over the last couple of years um i know i'm being uh you know what's the word i guess redundant because y'all have heard me say it before, um, but it really is cool. You know what I'm saying? Over the last couple of years, the people I've gotten the opportunity to meet, whether it be in person or via social media, over the phone, whatever it may be, it's been really cool. Um, having this podcast has enabled me um, to have conversations with people I normally wouldn't have. You know what I'm saying? And um, my guest today is a perfect example of that. Um I met this gentleman, what am I saying, this gentleman? The guest is Cuz Strickland, for y'all who don't know. You know what I'm saying? Um, I met Cuz Strickland um, through the ATA, the Archery Trade Association. 
Um, the ATA held a virtual media summit back in 2020. Um, and I was just curious to see what it was about because, you know, COVID hit. So they weren't really doing anything in um, person. Actually, they did it late in 2020. So I think they held the 2021 that January and then knowing that um, maybe they wouldn't be having it the the year after they held this virtual media summit um, which was pretty cool there were a bunch of different panelists and um cuz strickland happened to be on it and um i got the opportunity to ask a question or two and he happened to hit me up afterwards you know what i'm saying and we've been following each other on social media specifically instagram for a while now and um i've grown to really enjoy his content the dude again he's uh not from where i'm from you know what i'm saying um doesn't look like me <laughs> you know what i'm saying um basically you know it's a tale of two different worlds you know what i'm saying but he's been really cool he had me on his podcast a couple of weeks ago and i'm happy to have him on mine um for this episode you know what i'm saying because um like i said following him on instagram i've grown to really enjoy his content i like what he's about i like um, I, I like the company that he works for. Um, for those of you, for those of you who don't know, he's a VP for Mossy Oak. Um, and he's been with Mossy Oak since I want to say it's, it's creation, you know what I'm saying? Since the company started, um, you know, uh, cause is an avid turkey hunter. Well, he's really known for turkey hunting, but he's also a deer hunter. Um, you know, and you'll, you'll learn a little bit more about him when we jump into the episode and you get to hear my conversation with him but this is something i strive to do and i try to tell everyone about um especially with with hunting and and or the hunting community and how it is how people perceive it to be or not to be uh currently um I, I encourage you guys, whether you, you do, I mean, if you don't, I highly encourage you do, you know, engage folks that don't necessarily look like you, that don't necessarily come where you come from. Um, engage in some positive dialogue when it comes to, when it comes to anything outdoors. It doesn't have to be just hunting. It could be, it could be fishing. It could be hiking. It could be mountain biking, whatever it may be. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to solve all the world's problems or anything like that, but it's just really cool to see people coming together, having conversations that they wouldn't necessarily have, you know, on any given day. So again, my guest is Cuz Strickland and you're about to listen to the conversation. But first, as always, here's my intro music. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wenga Falls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. I'm your host, Cliff Cadet, and here with me now is none other than Cuz Strickland. What's going on, Cuz? It's it's all good, Cliff. Good talking to you, man. And uh, you're right, that opening line of your podcast is the reason I reached out to you because to me, two things. Number one, you don't see that many middle-aged black guys that bow hunt. Number two, you live in New York City. That's awesome. I was like, 
you know what? If he if he can get to this, then we need to spread that word. I, I got nothing but admiration. I appreciate that. Thank you, cuz. Thank you. So um, as I mentioned to my listeners before we even uh, started recording you and I, um, you know, you and I actually got in touch or I became more familiar with you when ATA um, had their virtual summit, virtual media summit. Um, back when, you know, COVID was raring in, you know, 2020. And um, and uh, we happened to connect after that on social media. And I've got to tell you, I've become a huge fan of yours. Um, you know, I primarily deal with Instagram and I follow, you know, your hunting exploits, the, the stuff you do with your family. I just got to let you know, I'm a huge, huge fan. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, when I'm posting stuff or back when we were producing tv and all that i was always thinking about that average joe or jane whoever it was you know I, that's why on uh like hunting the country we never scored deer i was like you know what because the guy that works down there at the gravel plant or is sacking grocers or doing whatever he they may not ever see a 180 inch deer or 150 inch deer and i just want them to to relate to everything else that's special about outdoors. That's again, that's why I'm always searching for those people who had a incredible journey to get where they got. So I appreciate you saying that. No doubt. You're welcome. Now, all right, you've been a prominent figure in the hunting community and industry for a long time now. And this and this is just based off of um, you know, what I've seen with with through social media, and then when I mentioned your name amongst um, other people, you know, on social media, it's like Cus Strickland. Cus, I mean, you're 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 the OG. You're one of the OGs within the hunting community and industry. How how did you start out hunting? <clears throat> you know, my dad was a, a twenty year military guy. He was in the army, and uh, he didn't hunt at all. But he was a big big fisherman. He he loved to fish. I tell people all the time, he's to this day, the best fisherman I've ever known who never owned a boat. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money and stuff. When, when he retired from the military, he, he, he had a lot of clerical skills. He ended up being the sports editor for our local newspaper. And along with covering the, you know, the Friday night football games and all that, he, he did a column on Sunday called Roving Around Outdoors, and it was probably 95% fishing. And a little, he every once in a while, he'd go on a rabbit hunt or something like that. But we were just, you know, we were kind of brought up around that stuff, you know, mainly fishing. But uh, we would go out and we had a big public place right close to our home down in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, National Forest out there. And that's where I, we, we went deer hunting out there a couple of times a, a year. And for some reason, that just flew all over me. I, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. You know, I'd go out there and go squirrel hunting. And I'd go out there and go deer hunting. And it was a big place. And it was public land. Wasn't that many people hunting on it back then. I mean, it, mm -hmm. this, this is in the mid to late 60s. And, uh. My, I had an older brother, and he kind of stuck with the fishing, and I kind of stuck with the hunting. But, you know, it was, I was blessed enough to have a, a dad who was uh, an outdoorsman, so to speak, mainly fishing, 
but he, he still took me hunting enough to where it, I got bit and I got bit really hard. Matter of fact, my senior year in high school, I missed 40, I think it was 45 days. Oh, wow. <laughs> During the fall and the principal called me in there. He called me strict. He said, strict, if you miss one more day, you ain't graduating. So I kind of <laughs> tighten up, but all those days were spent hunting out in the national forest. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, hey, there's no better reason to be missing school, right? Well, I don't recommend people let their kids get <laughs> miss school. Uh, you're, you're a dad. You know all about that. But there are some lessons that they're not going to teach you in school. But anyway, I, I just, you know, I just fell in love with it. And I never dreamed about making a living at it. I had so many different jobs. You know, I, I, I started bagging groceries at a grocery store when I was 14. I lied about my age. And I uh, did that, ended up, and then I went to work for the Coke plant. I drove a Coca-Cola truck for a, about a year and a half and ended up getting a little milk franchise. I had a, my own milk truck there for a while. Really? I, I've done lots of things, but hunting, that was never, I didn't figure that was ever in the cards. There was no hunting industry back then anyway. It was just a series of events that kind of fell into. Wow. Well, I mean, it's not a bad way to grow up, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I've got to ask, like, how do you, do you carry on this tradition, this hunting tradition with your, with your kids and even your grandkids now? Yeah, you know, I had girls and I didn't necessarily, ha I didn't necessarily want them to be hunters if they didn't want to. I never forced anything on them. My oldest girl was a really good athlete and, uh. Matter of fact, when she was 11 years old, we had a slow-pitch softball team. That's what they played back then, and we she ended up getting on a travel team, and we won the USSA World Championship in Hutchinson, Kansas when she was 11. So our whole world there for a long time revolved around that, and uh, her little sister, she kind of took to it. She enjoyed it, but my, my only goal was for them to – Number one, understand where food comes from, because mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. I mean, I don't care if you're a hunter or not. If you're eating protein, something died. And I wanted them to understand that. And I also wanted them to understand the lingo around the supper table. And, uh, you know, whether they hunted or not wasn't a big deal. There was a lot of dance recitals and cheerleading and all that stuff. And that's that's what they wanted to do. So that's what we did. But uh, I do love taking these grandkids you know i have uh three boys and a girl and the, i'll tell you how old i am my my oldest granddaughter she's she just started she's a freshman at mississippi state she killed really? she killed a deer with me uh season before last with a crossbow but uh those three boys their dads love it their moms are into it and i just i wanted to have it available and if they don't want to go, that's cool. If, uh, like when I take them turkey hunting, if there's not a lot going on, I'll say, hey, let's go get a biscuit. That's what I tell people about kids. You got to remember, it's always got about them. And, you know, your ego will step up and say, man, I want him to get whatever it is. But you, you kind of got to break them in easily to that and make sure they enjoy it because they have a lot of distractions nowadays. No, I, I totally understand. Totally understand. 
And I and I think I, I mentioned it on your podcast I was on a, a couple of weeks ago is with my children. Um, I, it's like I've got to put my ego aside as much as I'd like them to join this journey, this hunting journey with me. It's I, I'd much rather they find their own way to the outdoors. If it's hunting, cool. If it's not hunting, then hopefully it's hiking. Maybe it's mountain biking or, you know, whatever it is. But my goal is to try to pull them away from all that technology that seems to be taking over their lives and let them know what's outside our front doors that's available to them. Well, that's a lofty goal because there is, it is a very different world. And I, I have a good perspective on that because I, I got to see the whole thing, you know, unfold. There wasn't even, not only was there not a hunting industry when I was getting going, there wasn't any VHS tapes, there wasn't an internet, there wasn't anything. And I've got to see that whole thing explode. And I, and I see how people get attached to things. That's, it's like doing a podcast. You know, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she works with me up at Mossy Oak. And she came to me two and a half, whatever it was, two and a half years ago. And she said, Pop, you need to do a podcast. I'm like, what's a podcast? I mean, I, I had to go research them and see what it was. And I told her, I said, well, I listened to some. I didn't like any of them. There was cussing and this and that. And mm -hmm. so I, I feel like I have a... Uh, responsibility to spread positive messages and show people how fun it is and you should come try this this is a good recipe and try to be positive you get enough bad news if you turn your tv on so i, I, I like to spread good news and and in a g-rated form and see if we can get somebody to come along no nah, definitely definitely a good way to go now you mentioned Mossy Oak, and that was that was something that was going to be actually my next question. Now you're a VP with Mossy Oak, right? And and Mossy Oak is an iconic brand. Now something about me that I guess I'll, I'll let you know is, I mean, coming into this, I've been learning about uh, companies that are are new to the hunting industry and companies that have a long um positive history within the hunting industry and mossy oak is one of them um it being such an iconic brand how did you come about to to be working for them <clears throat> you know at the time uh i was working at a sporting goods store i had been working at a warehouse for a long time and <clears throat> kind of had i left that job and I went to work at a sporting goods store the next day because I was always there anyway, helping people, rigging bows out, whatever. And anyway, I, I went to work at this place called Rex Sporting Goods full time. I was the archery guy and it was way different back then. Believe me, we, I was cutting arrows with a copper tubing cutter and inserting inserts with a candle and wax. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. But uh, in the midst of all that, <clears throat> Will Primos came out with a cassette tape and it was a just audio recording of an actual turkey hunt. And I was like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. And then a camcorder, somebody, the first year they came out with a VHS camcorder was in the very early 80s, like 80 or something like that. And a buddy of mine bought it. He bought it, came into Sears and Roebuck there where I lived and he brought that thing up there, and for some reason, I was fascinated with it. And we took it out and started filming turkey hunts because I would turkey hunt just about every day before I went to work. We didn't open till nine or something, but 
Anyway, I sent Will Primos a VHS tape because we were using one of his mouth calls. I was at the time. And then he called and said, hey, could you film a turkey hunt with a big camera? And I said, I don't know. And he brought a camera down there to that sporting goods store. And I, I can't begin to tell you how big it was. It was gigantic. He bought it from a TV station. And anyway, I, I finally I figured it out. And I did the first video for him, The Truth about spring turkey hunting, which turned out to be a cult movie. But uh, in, the, in the midst of all that, <clears throat> his place of business was two hours from my home, and he wanted me up there just almost full time. And I had little kids, and I said, well, I can't do it. Came back to work for the sporting goods store, and he called Toxie, and, and who was just starting Mossy Oak, and said, you need to hire this guy. He's a great great help he's he's good with people blah 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 so toxi who was just getting started called me and i went up to west point where it was head, i say headquarters it was one room in his house at the time but uh he uh i went to work for him as a salesman and uh of course i could i could cover my territory and come home cover my territory and come home and uh that's how I got to work for Mossy Oak. He called me and said, I'm looking for somebody that's got some passion for hunting and stuff like that. And they were just rolling some clothes out. And I put those samples in the trunk of my 1983 Delta 88 Oldsmobile, which we called the tank. <laughs> <laughs> it was so big. It's a land yacht. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I started with Mossy Oak. You know, they're just selling clothes, trying to. To, to make a living i can remember stopping at at pay phones and i would call toxie and say dude i just sold two hundred dollars worth and he's like you're kidding i said, no i really did it was it was meager and humble beginnings to say the least and it's it's been a, a long it's been a long successful road since then huh it has you know there was a Toxie's background, he went to uh, Mississippi State. He was a marketing guy, although he worked at Bryan Foods. And, you know, his passion was hunting. His dad, Mr. Fox, is a legend down here. And so he was always tinkering with this and tinkering with that. And uh, he, but his, his background was in marketing. So he was really good at that. He was always way out in front of us and building that brand. And uh, any time that company showed a profit, he would take that money because he at the time he wasn't taking a salary. I wasn't taking much of one. It was it was very slim, but he'd turn around and put that into advertising. Mm -hmm. And the, the cool thing about Mossy Oak is you could all you needed was that photo. If somebody's wearing a logo and he would he would do all we'd take those where's Waldo kind of shots, you know, and. <laughs> He was really the first guy to do that. And, uh, you know, it was just Bill Sugg was covering Mississippi and Bob Dixon, God rest his soul. He was the Alabama guy and I kind of had everything else. And, and we were just trudging along and we got a call one day. Here's, here's what turned the tide. And these two things happened at once or close together is Browning. Uh, kind of, they took us on as their official camo pattern. And you're talking about an iconic brand that's been around for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. When they rolled into the shot show and they had Mossy Oak in their booth, that's 
that's what like Taxi says. That's what put the second story on the office building. It was that was that was what turned the tide. And the next year, we started the Hunting the Country series on TNN, the national network, which was the biggest thing going at the time. All TNN did was NASCAR, rodeo, hunting and fishing, and country music. And uh, the audience was gigantic. It, you didn't have 600 channels back then like you do now. And uh, we would air on uh, our first year. We aired on Saturday morning at eight o'clock, which is not a good time. But after seeing the shows and seeing how we did stuff, which was a miracle, they uh, the next year they put us on Sunday night seven in prime time. And it's kind of been a tsunami since then. But, you know, being being popular comes with responsibility. And that's one thing I'm very proud of is how Toxie's handled all that. He's never a up front in your face on TV kind of guy. He's, he's, he's working in the background. He's all about conservation and uh, keeping money flowing in the wildlife, just like Johnny Morris at Bass Pro. Always been very proud of that. It's, uh, it's, you kind of got to walk the walk, you know, and, and then people will talk about it. I agree. I totally agree. So, wow. I mean, so you go from what was initially uh, you were pro- supposed to be producing turkey hunting content for Will Primos turned into a, a, a sales job with Mossy Oak. That's awesome. Yep. And, you know, I, I kept the love of that video stuff because <clears throat> along with selling and promoting Toxie calls me in his office one day. I've told the story on my podcast and he gives me this 45 minute talk about PR and he's showing me stuff from Ben Rogers Lee and Night and Hell who Night and Hell kind of invented the the PR thing because they would take these famous outdoor writers hunting. And then, of course, all these articles would come out and Toxie was telling me about this and that. And at the end, he says, you're the guy to do the PR. And I said, hey, buddy, I'm in. What's PR stand for? I, I, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, I went from selling to doing, you know, I called it press relations. It's public relations. But the, uh, the outdoor writers, and I still have friends that are outdoor writers. But back then, that was the only vehicle. If you wanted to hear or see something about hunting, you read a magazine. And I took every you know, publisher, editor, freelance writer. I mean, I took hundreds over a three or four year period, hundred them out of my house most of the time. And those kind of relationships grew and it got to where, you know, they would, an outdoor writer would call me and say, hey, hey, cuz, oh, so-and-so's fixing to do a camo article for Outdoor Life. You should call him. And uh, that's that's how we built the brand was through, the outdoor press back then and now it's much more difficult because there's you know social media and it's it's so many people on there you got to really you really got to focus on what you're doing to to get your message out you know it's funny that that was actually going to be my next question because um i mean you produce it marcio produces content um you know now that's really popular content right and it seems like back then you know, the way you produce content was kind of through these outdoor writers 
if you will. You established these relationships with these guys. Uh, they were taken on hunts, and then it was written about with the only medium being, you know, these uh, hunting magazines. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, producing content is way different um, than it used to be done. How have you adjusted to basically continuing putting out quality content? Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. You know, along with the PR stuff, Toxic called me in another, you know, six months later, said we got to have a television show. TNN was taken off, had a lot of fishing shows on there. And since I had run a VHS camera from Sears, he's like, you're perfectly qualified for that. And I went, oh, my goodness. I didn't <laughs> I didn't have any background in any of that. So I went over to Mississippi State. They had a broadcast school uh, as part of their curriculum. And I went and found the dean and was telling him, you know, what my the vision was. And I said, do you have anybody in this class that likes to hunt? And he pointed out, he said, that big boy right there, that's uh, Stephen Davis. He loves to hunt. So I hung around and actually hired him right after class to come uh you know help us pick out edit equipment and all that boom and a few months later we're uh we're producing our own show right there in west point mississippi for tnn which the odds of that happening were so astronomical i don't even want to go back but anyway the tv run lasted a long time we at one at one point i was producing five different shows we had uh, we did a show for Remington called Remington Country. We did one for the NRA called American Hunter. We had a show for a year on the Golf Channel called Second Season. So I learned a lot about TV production. But as that wind, that started winding down here a few years ago, and Toxie was kind of ahead of that curve because you, you get the numbers. You know your viewership's kind of going down because of Facebook and instagram and twitter and all that stuff so toxic kind of reassembled things and he uh he has twin boys daniel and neil and daniel they're both really good daniel's just brilliant at that social media stuff and they put another little group together called capture and all they do is produce social media content not only for mossy oak but for a lot of other people and uh, I kind of spun off and did my own social media. And the reason I got interested in it is because I was catfishing with my granddaughter at the time, was 12, I think. And she was on her phone, on her phone. And I, I, I got on to her. I said, Avery, you spend too much time on that phone. And she said, Pop, if you're not on Instagram, you're not relevant. And boy, that, that flew all over me. And he, she wasn't picking on me. She was just making a statement. But I decided that night, I said, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. I'm an old guy, but I'm not going to. I'm going to be relevant just so I can keep up with what's happening. So, I, you know, I, I started. Uh, my first one was an Instagram. And, uh, you know, it took. I can remember it took me forever to get to, like, 500 followers and i was like golly that's pretty cool because then i could follow her and i could see what was going on i only saw the good side of it i was like that's first off a cell phone to me has been like a freedom machine because i can get emails i can get messages and stuff like that but i also saw that's a good way to spread a message along with mossy oak people are gonna always tie me to mossy oak and uh so i just got kind of 
knee deep, if you would, into all the social media. And I guess for the last five years or six years, I figured out a lot of stuff, you know, kind of on my own to complement the Mossy Oak stuff. You know, I have a YouTube channel and uh, Instagram's pretty big. My Facebook stuff's really big. And that's different people, you know, diff- very different crowd on Facebook than it is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I even I, was, I had a guy ask me that I and I was having a deep conversation with a guy about social media. And he said, because you need to have a TikTok thing. I said, look, if your underwear is whiter than your hair, you don't need TikTok. And uh <laughs> I said, but anyway, I opened one and I'm kind of learning some stuff. It's not my favorite format, but if you're going to keep up with what's going on, you have to change how you do things. And I've never been scared to do that. So, uh, yeah, producing content is just kind of what we do because you know how fast people scroll now and it takes a lot. When we were doing television, it was when we first started, it was 22 minutes and 40 seconds of content for a week and it was 13 weeks and then you rerun and that was it now it's two or three or four or five Mm -hmm. every day you got to keep up with uh you know how busy it is your instagram page is awesome and it takes some work yeah agreed thank you for that (laughs) and it does just 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 to put out one picture or one or one video a day i can only imagine what it's like for doing something not not your like for example your personal instagram page like great content so i can only imagine what it takes to put that out there and then and then to kind of be supervising <laughs> sorry about that I will, hey you already know the way the podcast is i'm in my car recording so you're gonna hear traffic passing by <laughs> which, is, so, which is my favorite part of it i i've told i've told the cliff cadet story to probably as many people as heard the podcast i was like let me tell you something that's cool there's a UPS driver in New York <laughs> that shoots way better than me that got into this on his own. You just don't know that, 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 that to me is just, it's just admirable to say the least. So, you know, my, my stuff was kind of a, you know, I just kind of stepped one thing into the next into the next, but I was always around kind of hunting and fishing people and Somebody like you, I, I just that fascinated me how you ended up there. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Thank you. Um, well, you know what? To kind of to switch gears a little bit, I've got to I've got to say thank you to you. Um, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. But one of the things that seems to be at your core um, is is your ability to develop relationships. Um, you know, what I'm saying whether it was as a salesperson back when Marcy Oak started um, to um, to how you run your social media accounts now, um, how you do your podcast. You know, um, one of the things that I, I really I really appreciate about you is how you tend to engage with folks that don't necessarily fit the look of what people tend to think is a traditional hunter you know what i'm saying or you tend to engage with folks that most others don't like uh i hey middle-aged black guy from new york city i never think in the middle in, in a million years that i'd be talking to somebody who's 
who's so rooted within you know the hunting community and hunting industry from the south i'd never in a million years think i'd be having a conversation with them you know so what motivates you to establish dialogue with people like that you know <clears throat> that's a that's a great that's a great question but you know growing up <clears throat> I, I always i struggled a lot with you know i would we were i loved to play golf and the only place i could play golf was little nine hole municipal public course i wasn't i wasn't the country club kid and all my buddies a lot of them were in hunting camps those were always historically very popular and it didn't i couldn't do that i i just you know i, I ain't saying i struggled to fit in but i was like if i ever get around stuff like that i'm gonna at least act like i know what i'm talking about but i always, i learned early on when I was trying to do whatever it was, it, bagging groceries at the grocery store, if you struck up a conversation, taking all them bags out and were nice to people, your tips were better. And people love to talk about themselves and stuff like that. Uh, his, you know, I just like people. And I, when I really got into it is, is, is in that they, the PR role, I had to call perfect strangers and most of them I knew because I'm new of. I mean, you, you're talking about big time guys like Dwight Shue and Judd Cooney. And, I mean, it was just and I would have to strike up a conversation with them. And I learned if you treated them like you would like to be treated on these hunts, that that relationship would just blossom, you know. I, I would tell them when they came in and I'd put a hunt on, I might have two or three in camp and I would make sure that all the details were taken care of their transportation. I'd be there personally to pick them up, take care of all the food, make sure I had good places for them to go. Just kind of wait on them. Uh, and, you know, my mom taught me if you're going to be a host, well then be the host. You know, I, I was fine with waiting on them and not, hunting myself and uh they would they then they would kind of let you into their club because here's what you need to do they would give me great advice some of the best advice i ever had one time was from an outdoor writer who's still going strong johnny phillips and he's like look when you do these things he said bring two or three really well-known people in and have plenty of props so they can take photos that's what they need to sell so I would bring muzzle loaders and tree stands and archery gear and several outfits and stuff. And I would help those guys while they were in camp. And in turn, they would call me for stuff like, hey, I need a, I need to go on a duck hunt. I'm writing this for them. And I just relationships. I don't care how much social media you do, how many people you text. Relationships are never going to go away. I always felt like if I could get in with somebody and have a, a relationship and that's a two-way street you just can't have people doing stuff for you you got to return those favors i always felt like if i had a really good relationship with a buyer somewhere or something if it came down to the to our brand or brand x i may have the edge and it's all about treating people with respect and just being a good host doing the work you know and i was always very comfortable doing that Nice, nice. Now, where I said uh, I wanted to thank you, so my last episode, uh, my guest was a gentleman by the name of Jose Rosado. 
and Jose is from New York City as well. And what ended up happening was after being on, being on your podcast, all of a sudden Jose hits me up on Instagram. And what happened is a lot of times I'm a bit wary when people start, you know, just sending me messages on Instagram, um, wanting to know more about me. It's like I kind I've got to kind of vet them through, you know, ask them a series of questions. I'm like, how'd you find me? Because this is a guy who's from New York City as well. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how is it that you don't already I don't already know you or you don't already know me? Because it's not that many, you know, people of color who hunt in New York City. And he was like, oh, he goes, I saw you on Cuz Strickland's page. I was like, oh, wow. So <laughs> this this is a Puerto Rican dude from the Bronx, you know, what I'm saying who's just like not even a 20 minute ride from my home in Queens. You know, he's he's got 30 years of hunting experience, which for me is like. I felt like I was kind of alone or I felt almost like uh, this is something new. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a person of color hunting in New York City. But the thing is, speaking to Jose, I learned that, no, it's while it's it's rare, it's not new. But it's like I've now, because of you, through you, I established a relationship with someone who I can learn from. So I had to say thank you. You know, it's it's like one of those six degrees of separation type deals. So I wanted to say thank you because you helped me link up with somebody else in New York City who has a wealth of experience and who's willing to to teach me some more. Well that warms my heart. You know, you never know who's listening or watching your social media stuff and and, and I don't do it because I want to be the guy that picks out minorities that I just find people interesting. You know, I don't know if I told you the story of John Anoni. Uh, John Anoni's a, a black guy from Allentown, PA, who started Camp Compass. And now he's got he's a school teacher, but he's gotten more awards. He's on the board of directors at the NDA. But when I met John Anoni, he had a little table at a sports show. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the first other than Bub Jackson. I think he was the first black guy I've ever seen. So I went down there and talked to him and learned about what he was doing in school to get kids interested in this. And boy, we, we struck up a big, a really a, a, a lifelong friendship. And uh, I was so impressed because he was reaching kids that we would never reach. You know, people who grow up hunting, I don't care what conservation group it is, th- their kids are going to get it. They're going to be able to go. Uh, John was dealing with inner city kids, and I was like, man, that you talking about a higher calling. And, uh, you know, John, I'll tell you a quick funny story to, to kind of cement where my mind is. I, he, he called me one day, he said, because y'all have helped me so much. But he said, my budget's kind of run thin. I'm going to have to shut it down for a little bit. And I said, well, whoa, wait a minute. How much money do you need? He said, well, we don't require much money. So I said, well, give me a little while. So I called my two buddies at Bent Creek Lodge, Johnny Lanier and Leo Allen. I said, hey, we need to have a a golf tournament for Camp Compass. And they immediately said, yes. They didn't even know what Camp Compass was. So we put together a little scramble, you know, three-man scramble, whatever it was, at the Butler Country Club down there near Jakin, Alabama. And Mossy Oak flew John down here. I picked him up at the Meridian Airport, and we're driving to the Butler Country Club. He had never played golf. I even had the Nike guy send a set of left-handed golf clubs, and <laughs> he played left-handed. 
and I was going to teach him. So look, you can hack around with me. And anyway, we're pulling up into the Butler Country Club, and you got to understand this was long time ago. And there was a, a Confederate flag flying on the top of the Country Club, and there was an American flag there too. But there was like 200 white guys out there, and John looked at me, and his eyes were wide open. He said, "Cuz, am I going to be all right?" I said, "John." I said, not only are you going to be all right, you're going to be in love with these people when you leave. So we had a little golf uh, tournament. And at the end of the day, I handed him almost $5,000 in cash we raised. And we're driving back. And he said, man, I learned a valuable lesson today. I said, he said, you can't judge a book by its cover. And I said, you're right, John. There's good people everywhere. Uh, you just got to find them. So proud of that john's done such a unbelievable he's got college graduates now but in order to get into camp compass you have to have your behavior at a certain level and your grades at a certain level and it motivates those kids to do right and sometimes that's all they need is that one person to motivate them a little bit so proud of that and that's just that's the way things should go in my eyes you know what i'm gonna ask you for a favor because i'm gonna ask um if it's possible for you to make an introduction, because this is the second time you're bringing up uh, Mr. Anoni, and yeah. I'd like the opportunity to speak to him and learn more about Camp Compass, because uh, yeah. it sounds like such an awesome program. I definitely would like to learn more about him and definitely learn more about what he's doing. Oh, yeah. I'll tee, I'll tee that up tomorrow. I'll call him or text him. He's, he's still a school teacher, and I'll I'll text him your uh, cell phone. I'll make that happen tomorrow. He He's a, he's a unique human being and uh man you're talking about fighting some battles he's had can you imagine having school kids in this separate organization and they're shooting skeet and trap and all and so the guns come into play can you imagine some of the roadblocks he's had to overcome but anyway to me that's uh that that's a whole market out there that the outdoor industry needs to look at and you know, not everybody has a dad who loves to fish or hunt or whatever, i.e. Cliff Cadet. Not everybody's going to do what Cliff did. So sometimes I need a little nudge. And boy, John's got the blueprint to get people involved, I'll promise you. So, nah, yes, I'll be glad to hook you guys up. I appreciate that. I appreciate that because um, I'm just curious to know how he navigated like the issues you just brought up. Um, you know, because I I recently got the ball rolling on uh, starting um, a National Wild Turkey Federation chapter here in New York City. Um, and I definitely would like my chapter to um, definitely do some work with working, um, you know, to do some work with youth um, yeah. you know, in, in the outdoors. And I'd love to learn how John, you know, navigated any issues he had you know doing that out there so because i'm pretty sure uh whatever problems may arise here parallels whatever he he dealt with down there so definitely i appreciate that yeah he, he's the og in that world i'll promise you so. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get you guys hooked up on that for sure he he's a unique fellow all right so let's gonna we're gonna backtrack a little bit you mentioned that you know back in the day you worked in the sporting goods store and you were the archery guy so i've got to ask because i've seen you with a bunch of you know a bunch of different um hunting weapons 
on your social media page what is your favorite weapon to hunt with is it is it a shotgun a rifle bow crossbow what does cuz strickland like to hunt with oh I, I, you know my my reputation is going to precede me because i i'm kind of well known in the turkey world but i was bow hunting way before i was turkey hunting I, there wasn't many turkeys around here uh there was a uh, uh, my dad and two or three other guys started this thing in Natchez called the Junior Sportsman's Club, kind of the pre-runner to what John was doing, believe it or not. But one of the things they did is to they raised some money and they bought like six or eight of these old recurves. I don't even, they weren't even recurves. They were like these fiberglass bare bows and we put them in the uh, Duncan Park over there and we would have these little archery contests. And, uh, man, you're talking about getting fascinated with something. The, the bow hunting was something I, and I, you know, I didn't kill a deer with a bow for a long time. I, first off, I didn't have a driver's license. I'd have to, you know, beg a ride out to the national forest with my older brother or something like that. But it was just something I, I was fascinated because I would read the magazines and I would see the people out there with a, you know, mule deer rack attached to their back, climbing a mountain. I was like, man, one of these days I'm going to do that. And uh, so, yeah, I was bow hunting a long time. And 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 that's that's something else I got to see is the, that whole industry takeoff. I'll tell you a funny story. I was, when we were at Rex Sporting Goods, I was the Golden Eagle was a big brand back then. We were the Golden Eagle dealer of the year one year. And I was, uh, I had a, uh, golden eagle round e-wheel bow uh the string connected to a big metal teardrop it didn't have all that stuff on it but we me and another buddy of mine were building overdraws now this is way before your time but that was just a bracket that you could put in through the burger button hole and move your air rest back as far as you were brave enough to get it back there which meant you could cut off a lot of your arrow you know and i I had this bow cranked up to 80 pounds shooting with my fingers. This is pre-release aid days and shooting a little like a 21 inch or a 22 inch arrow. And you can imagine how much is stressing that bow. And uh, I shot that thing one time and it blew in like 50 pieces. And uh, but we shot it through a chronograph we borrowed from the baseball coach. I think it was. And it went like 204 feet a second. And I told my buddy, I said, that they'll never make a bow faster than that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> two, 204 feet a second. But yeah, I was, I was, I was deep into it. You know, the first 3D archery range I ever heard of was in Monroe, Louisiana. It was called Two Paul Archery Range. And it was a 3D course, like 36 targets, broadheads only. All those guys were getting ready to go out west. I was fascinated with that. I shot in the NFAA uh, league for a long time. That's just, you know, bullseyes mostly. Uh, and I, I got really infatuated with that. I went to, I actually got pretty good with my fingers, you know, shooting. I shot my fingers forever. Took me forever to, to get a release aid. But uh, I just got into it, you know, the kinetics and, uh, building arrows and stuff and still love that to this day now i spend more time with these grandkids 
uh, trying to get them into that because that's something they can they can shoot their bows all summer long. And uh, so when they were five, I had crossbows out here. They were too little to pull a bow back. But everybody's like, I can't believe you're fooling with a crossbow. I'm like, dude, to them, it's bow hunting because they can't pull a compound bow. But we still get to talk about fletchings and broadheads and blood trails and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've always been way deeper, believe it or not, into bow hunting than I was turkey hunting. It's just a... it's a very special thing for me. I, I, I was, I was as hard at it last year as I was when I was fifteen. I, I just love it. That's so awesome. Cuz Strickland is a bow hunter at heart. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> well, it's like I say, it's uh, you know, I, my, one of my goals in life was to get out west, and the guys because like like man, I, I know if them guys can do it, I can do it. And we finally put a hunt together. It was five of us. And we were nothing but a bunch of pilgrims. None of us had ever been out west. And there's lots of public land out there. And we 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 scraped together a couple of hundred dollars a piece and put it in a jar. And we all went in one van and we would just spend money out of that jar for gas and food and stuff like that. Nobody killed a deer, but it was like that's that's gotta be the coolest thing ever. And nothing, you know, I still turkey hunt with a shotgun. I personally feel like, you know, God designed a turkey to be shot with, you know, upside the head with a scatter gun. But I, <laughs> I did go down that rabbit hole. I was like, I'm going to kill one with a bow and arrow. And it was the hardest thing I ever tried to do. Uh, that's why when I saw the picture of your turkey, you killed with a bow and arrow. I was like, Cliff, you have set the bar so high. You may not reach. You may not reach that again. That's you know, because man, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, but but what's crazy? What's crazy? Because is is that's my only kill to date. And it's like, what it's it's funny is I try not to put pressure on myself because yeah. for me, I'm not doing this for anybody else. I'm doing this for myself and and for my love of of this. You know what I'm saying? But. It's hard to follow that up, you know. Like I killed that one turkey, and now it's like I can't do it any. It's like I not, I can't do it anymore, but I can't do it again. Like you know, Look, just it was, uh, it was easier for me to kill an elk with a bow and arrow than it was a turkey with a bow and arrow. I'm just really I'm telling you, you need you can wear that like a badge. I'm telling you, it's so hard to do. And you know, now oh, back man. then they didn't have expandable broadheads and all that stuff. I actually had a uh, like a hook, not a treble hook, but a single big brim hook on the end of my shaft. And I put it on there with dental floss to kind of slow that air down, you know, it wasn't doing that much damage, but it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing. I still fool around with fletching airs and, you know, mm-hmm. different broad heads and all. I, I just love doing that. Now I shoot a release aid. I, I learned that is, as you get busy, if you're going to shoot your fingers, which I did for decades, you kind of got to do that a lot because that's a, that's a motion that's unlike shooting with a release aid. And I finally made the switch and it made me way more accurate and I'm at peace with it now, but it took me forever to get off a calf hair tab and get a release aid. And, uh, and I've sold release aids when I was in that sporting goods store. The first one that ever came out, was called a pro injector and it was made out of plastic and it almost looked like brass knuckles with a trigger on it but 
people went nuts over those things and they, they got really accurate with them. So it's been fun to see how far archery has come because, uh, I mean, I got a bow right now. I could walk out there in my shop and pull it off the rack and knock an air and go out there to 30 yards with that release aid and a peep sight and all that and just drill it. And that was a constant battle when you were shooting your fingers to get that release where it was smooth and all that. But I've always been kind of really interested in, in the whole archery thing. So, yeah, I was, I was a bow hunter way before I was a turkey turkey guy. Got it. Got it. All right. So, listen, to to round this interview out, um, you've been around long enough, you know, to see, you know, a huge change in – in hunting technology, you know, a huge change in in marketing within hunting, um, you know, what I'm saying in in hunting content and whatnot. Um, what would you say? Like, all right, with basically these days now, there's there's a huge increase in adult hunters, adult onset hunters, whether they're coming from urban areas or not. There's like it seems like a lot of people are really understanding or wanting to understand where their food comes from comes from and they want to get out there and and harvest their own meat um what piece of advice would you offer a new hunter when they're venturing out into outdoor activities you know i I tell people all the time you know i'm gonna start changing my advice my advice is to follow cliff cadet on instagram now (laughs) he's living proof you can do this but i tell people all the time it's not like any other activity if you want to learn and get into golf you can go out there to the golf course and you can buy a lesson you can get you know 30 minutes for 20 bucks or whatever it is you can find somebody to you can pay them to teach you how to do it. You can't do that in hunting. You kind of got to have a mentor. And and I know deep down there's a lot of people out there that don't mind sharing. So the, the most wonderful thing, and you've said it two or three times, I found somebody that's got 30 years of hunting experience that I can, I can breach on some of that. That's the wisest thing. That's absolutely. I tell people who want to go turkey hunting, I said, look, fine. You don't live next close to me find somebody that turkey hunts and tell them you want to go say and say look i don't need to carry a gun or anything i just want to watch you do this that's the quickest way to do it It, it's a fascinating thing because turkey hunting is a great way to get people involved in the outdoors because they if they've never hunted they're kind of queasy about this and that they can picture themselves throwing a turkey over their shoulder and bringing it home because they eat one for Thanksgiving, they're familiar with it. Not so much with a big game animal like deer. I, I'm on the board of directors of the National Deer Association, formerly QDMA, and they're brilliant. They did these these uh, field of fork things where they, the first one they did, they went to a farmer's market and they were there just cooking venison. And people would come up and taste the venison. Oh, I'd love this. I would love to f- figure out how to hunt. And they would take these people's names and they had a hunt, had like 30 people there. And it was the most diverse crowd of people you've ever seen. Uh, You know, young girls with purple hair and 
tattooed people and Asian. And all these people were there for one reason. And it was to figure out what you said. They want to, they want some of that protein that's, that's fresh and is wild and all that. What hung them up, they, they didn't have any issues trying to shoot a crossbow or a rifle. Where they were kind of confused and scared was like, all right, what do I do when I get it on the ground? And if you'll teach people what to do with a deer after it's down, man, the, the, the retention factor in that group was like 80-something percent. They just loved it. And I'll tell people all the time, look, if you're in a place where there's deer, there's deer processors. Figure out how to get it from the woods to him and just tell him what to do with it. And he can package it like you want. He can make summer sausage. He can do whatever it is. And uh, that kind of closes the circle. But if you will just follow what Cliff Cadet did, in my opinion, and find somebody that don't mind sharing their knowledge, it'll speed that learning curve up a lot. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you, cuz. Listen, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time out to sit and talk with me. You are a wealth of knowledge. I enjoy following your content on Instagram. Um, I just enjoy everything you're you're about it as a whole. So thank you, sir. That's a big compliment coming from you, Cliff. You you're way up on my totem pole. And you know, the older you get, the more I anyway, I appreciate a struggle. You know, some people are just land uh, in a really good place and some people have to fight their way to a good place. That's why I'm fascinated with your journey and I'm honored to be on your podcast. And uh, like I say, tomorrow I'm going to hook you up with John and Oni. That'll that'll be one of the best podcasts you ever did. I appreciate that. Thank you. All All right. right, You have a good one, man. Thank you, my brother. I'll be in touch. Yes, sir. Stay blessed. All right. I got to thank Cuz again. Um, Great conversation. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, If you're not following Cuz Strickland on Instagram or even Facebook or on any social media for that matter, I highly recommend that you do. Um, I truly believe you'll enjoy his content. Um, And that's about it, y'all. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation um, as much as I enjoyed having it. if it's your first time listening to the podcast, I truly appreciate you taking the chance on it, you know, taking a chance on me sitting in my car recording it. Um, and if you're a regular listener, I appreciate you coming back each and every episode and listening to what um, I have to say or listen, listening into who I'm talking to. Um, listen, if y'all haven't already, um the best way for people to find my podcast or for the various podcast platforms to put my podcast out there is by you guys, you know, going to the review section of whatever platform you're using to listen to this and hooking me up with a rating and hooking me up with a review um, on Apple Podcasts, which if you've got an iPhone um. I'm pretty sure it's Apple podcast is already loaded up on your iPhone. Um, so you just go to this podcast when the hunt calls, right. And scroll all the way down to the bottom. Right. And then it'll give you an option to, uh, leave a five star rating. And then there's a line that says, write a review and you just tap on that and you go ahead. 
Um, all I ask is that you be nice. <laughs> um, if you listen to this on Spotify, which is another uh, podcast platform I'm familiar with, um, if I'm correct from what I saw, Spotify only allows you to um, leave a rating. So if you can do that, um, you basically go to the show when the hunt calls. And at the top there, there's three little dots. You tap the dots and it'll, a couple of choices will pop up and one of them will be, I believe, rate this show. So hook a brother up please like i said just trying to get this out there if you're enjoying this podcast and you believe others would enjoy it as well um please go ahead uh subscribe or follow like leave a five-star rating leave a dope review and then hey text the episode your favorite episode to somebody you think that might appreciate it all right y'all um until next episode remember uh stay blessed and respect the journey even when it's not your own <laughs>